action. Welcome to Torn Stubs, the trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We continue our celebration of Sofia Coppola's filmography by continuing with The Bling Ring, her 2013 film. The Bling Ring is based on this Vanity Fair article called mm-hmm. The Suspects Wore Louboutins. Uh, by Nancy Jo Sales and is basically kind of set in this affluent neighborhood in California. It's about a group of teenagers who kind of use the tools of the internet, i.e. Facebook, social media, Google, all that stuff, to to kind of find out when their celebrity idols aren't at home, aren't in town, and then go and rob them. Had you seen it before? No, I'd never seen it before. Really? No. Oh, okay. I remember there's this kind of big hoo-ha when it came out where it was kind of like Emma Watson playing kind of a bad girl, um, you know, teens gone wild. It looked very cool. It looked very now. Um, it looked very edgy. And I just never went to see it. And I have no idea. I think the title really put me off. Like the bling ring. It just Something about it just made me feel like that's not for me. But then obviously I, I watched it for the podcast and I feel like it's the strongest thing that Sofia Coppola has done since Lost in Translation. 100%. I'd seen yeah. it before, a couple of years ago on Amazon Prime. I Amazon. Amazon. I didn't see it in the... Uh... <laughs> it's like when you took the piss out of me for saying YouTube. <laughs> um, but I'd watched it on Amazon. And I really, I really liked it. I just couldn't remember much about it. So when I watched it again yesterday, having watched all of her films now in order there is a real dip with somewhere and there's a real uh, she kind of lost her way with Marie Antoinette like it was like an honorable kind of honorable not failure but honorable kind of not greatness (laughs) yeah kind of a, a kind of you this is you know Marie Antoinette and somewhere not her best work this is a return to form this is so energetic if somewhere was asleep this is so cranked up on cocaine and fizzy pop for the teenagers that it's so wise awake and the first four minutes i felt like she found her mojo again it opens with cctv footage and it's all eerie and it's green and then there's fashion shots of sort of rich pretty things a bit like in marie antoinette then there's pumping hipster music the one you actually just playing just before we started recording um then you see all these facebook profiles and it kind of gives an insight into who these characters are and the, their lives and the kind of things that they do and aspire to be and also it's like a future echo for how they'll use social media later on then there's news footage of Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton so immediately you know when in time this is what what era of culture what pop culture this is that era around the time that Marie Antoinette was actually coming out when Lindsay Lohan um, Paris Hilton and Britney Spears were hounded by the press because they were the new rich ladettes they were like they were like the royalty they were american royalty it was kind of 
they were held up on pedestals as these kind of perfect, sexy, gorgeous young women who were kind of going places, had sussed it all out. Everyone wanted to be them or be with them. And they were kind of American idols. Yeah, but there was this rebranding of of American celebrity culture that Kim Kardashian caught the tail of. And now she seems to be the only one that has lasted in that capacity. Britney went back to growing her hair and... (laughs) (laughs) Writing in commas, yeah, and what's music and doing live performances in commas, but it's such an amazing way to visually tell the story. It's such an energetic start, and I was so happy. Yeah, when when I start when I sat down to watch this, I said to my boyfriend, "Are you going to watch this one with me?" And he had just watched somewhere, and he said, "Is it going to start with a black screen and a sound?" And I was like, I don't think so. (laughs) And so he did watch it with me. Sophia Coppola has a real talent and also maybe her casting agents as well, but they're really good at finding natural actors and actresses who can then give a very natural performance. I didn't feel that any performance in this film, even the ones that you could say are kind of a little bit over the top and hammy, none of them feel like they're acting. Yeah, it, it's not like a, it's not as natural as say, a Larry Clark film like Kids or something from Gus Van Sant, but it doesn't feel like it's contrived. It doesn't feel actory. Yeah, like she has a real gift for, drink, uh, for drawing out kind of naturalistic performances, performances that feel lived in, like real people, um, and kind of deeply flawed, interesting human beings. And that was why it was kind of such a big fuss, I think, that Emma Watson was cast in this film because she, you know, she's kind of the stagey Harry Potter girl and suddenly she's gone from... Then she did uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Was that before this? Yeah, and My Week with Marilyn. And then she did this. She was in that? Yeah, I think she was an assistant. Right, okay. Um, Don't remember being in that. She was in that. And, you know, arguably at the time, she was one of the most recognisable women, female actors on the planet off the back of playing Hermione Yeah, in Harry Potter. Mm. Can't remember the name. So it, it's brilliant that she's just one of an ensemble. Her yeah. name doesn't even appear above the title. It appears maybe five or six names in on screen with three other people and she's like the third one on screen. Yeah, I think it's a real coup. I think that people can get really down on Emma Watson and it just kind of, it's not fair. You know, but to be fair, she hasn't always made the best choices. She hasn't, but I think that outside of acting, she has been a fantastic champion for, for women's rights and kind of um, youth. And she's very much kind of an activist and that's great. And then it's, it's just lovely to see her in this. She is wearing a terrible wig and it was very distracting. But, <laughs> was it a wig? Yeah, either it's a wig or, an ex- or it's extensions. But it's it probably was, extensions. It was gappy. It's always a very good sign. It's gappy. Joshua, um, wig expert. Yes. Well, actually, the editor of Total Film has got this phenomenal eye for wigs and she has passed the curse onto all <laughs> the of <curse>. us. The curse. Yeah. <laughs> so now we can all spot a wig within a 10 miles. You're um, listening to Wig Watch with Joshua <laughs> Winning. We'll be right back after the news. It's a hairy... <laughs> no. What are you about to say? It's a hairy occupation. <laughs> God. And you are a writer. I know. Why are they friends with that boy? 
Oh, God. Do you know what? Before we talk about that, we have to talk about the fact that this is, again, a film where it's about girls, but through a, a boy's perspective. A like The Virgin the Suicides. Just like The Virgin Suicides. It's very unusual, um, especially seeing... I mean, she is a female director, but but you'd think that it would be all about Rachel, who's the, the kind of the leader of the pack. Rebecca. Isn't it Rachel? The Asian girl. Oh, sorry. Rachel is the real counterpart right. right so yeah rebecca is the the leader played by katie chang you think that um she would be the, the focal point because she's the one who's kind of organizing everything and, and pushing them to do more and more jobs well she is the focal point up until one point and that's later on when it becomes all about emma watson yeah but there's a moment where um what's his name mark played by israel broussard he's being interviewed and somebody says, the interviewer says to him, why do you think Rebecca did it? Mm-hmm. And you never get Rebecca's insight into why she did it, how she felt. And he just kind of says something flippant, like, I think she likes celebrities or... She likes a lifestyle. Well, once, yeah. once they are um, sentenced, mm. only Mark and... Um, Emma Watson's character yeah, remain Nikki. in the film. Yeah. We don't we don't see Rebecca come back in, do we? We don't see her being interviewed. We don't no. really find out what happened to her. And then the same but she's, she'll still be in prison. You know, yeah. everyone got four years except yeah. Mark. No, everyone got four years except Emma Watson's character, who got a year but served thirty days. Yeah. But the film invites us to be more sympathetic sympathetic towards Mark than anybody. Well, that was going to be one of my, my questions. Yeah. Are any of them sympathetic? Who is the most sympathetic one? Well, clearly Mark is because you get the sense that he, he's always going, we should get out, we should get out. You know, I don't, I don't want to be here or I don't want to do this. And he's the one who's always... But he goes along with it. He goes back and he steals those heels. Yeah, he does. He steals those heels and he's still got them. Mm-hmm. He wears them at home. He's got all that cool stuff that he packs away in those big trunks in grandma's house. <laughs> but he doesn't seem... I mean, he doesn't seem boastful of it with his therapist, but he also doesn't seem remorseful. He's very mm. neutral. It's almost like... Almost matter of fact, this happened. Yeah, well, it's, this is Sophia Coppola's first, te- first film about modern teenagers she's always you know te- version suicides was the 70s yeah lost in translation she's not a teenager she's slightly older um marie antoinette mm, well obviously she's a historical teenager yeah. um this is her first modern these are her first modern teenagers so they kind of they're different like teen being a teenager is demonstrably different now than it was in the 70s or even when we were well, in even the 90s. when we were as well yeah. it's kind of they're more clued up there's a smaller gap between being a celebrity and being a regular person, between mm-hmm. being rich and poor. You know, the gap between being a, ce- a celebrity and a regular person now is having a million followers on YouTube. Well, 10,000 know? followers on Instagram. Right, exactly. So it's almost like the teenagers depicted in this film, they're kind of, they feel entitled to wealth and success and celebrity. They're aspirational to it. They want that stuff. But, but they don't necessarily want to earn it. They just want to have it. Well, no, exactly. But they they don't come from poor, quote-unquote, families. They are affluent. Yeah, they're in Calabas. Three of them Calabasas. are being homeschooled by the mum. Yeah. So they're living in 
big houses. Their parents are clearly quite wealthy. Hmm. Is it just the notoriety they want? I think so. Well, like compare the houses that these kids live in in the Bling Ring with Clueless, which was 20 years before this, Uh 1994, five, I think it was. And like, they're all rich and they, and they kind of have great clothes and great houses and that stuff, but they're not necessarily trying to be famous. They just kind of, they are famous within their own environment. Well, it's the the Beverly Hills 90210 factor, isn't it? Well, yeah, but it's a school structure. Yeah. But then when you come forward to present day, that's not enough anymore. You have to be famous on the internet. Yes. Um, you have to but be... this is pre-social... Oh, no, it's... Well... This is Facebook. Era. It's Facebook, but it's not influencer. Because even, yeah. even social media has now branched into a new um, culture. You know, 10 years ago, you didn't really have the idea of the influencer online. Mm. This is really yeah. within the last five, six, seven years where you can have a career online as an influencer. Yeah. And, and having an idol, having someone that you looked up to as someone that you could emulate and draw confidence from. So like, you know, having David Bowie as your idol or having Blondie as your idol, that was always seen as something that was kind of something that should be encouraged and something that was good for you to have somebody that you could look at and go, that person embodies all the great qualities I wish I had. But nowadays... But based on the fact that they are talented. Talented and they're successful for a reason. Yes. But... But increasingly, says the old man behind the microphone, it seems like people idolise heiresses, people who just inherit wealth or reality TV stars. People who are famous because they're famous. People are famous because they're famous for getting their getting their bits out on reality TV or getting drunk on reality TV. You know, it, it's really odd. So it brings me back to why are they friends with the boy? Yeah, why are they friends with him? Because he seems like a complete outcast. Yeah. Is he a new kid? I I got the impression he just, he'd run away and come back to that school. I don't know, but that's definitely what Rebecca says to him when she sees him by the locker. She's like, hey, new kid. Oh, is that what she said? Is it a joke? I don't know. Mm. Either way, he Mm. seems to be at the bottom of the pile. So why has she, why is she who wants to be the queen of you know the school of the internet who who wants all the fame why is she attaching herself to the bottom of the pile kid well i think that's your answer isn't it like if you want to look popular get people to adore you and the easiest ones to get to adore you are the ones that you deem not as good as you (laughs) it's like if you want to look really tall just surround yourself with short people like that's kind of her mentality i think you like you don't know because she's a very um She's a different. She's not a character you're really given any insight to. You just know that she's like, I love Chanel, and you know, I can't wait to get out of this town. That kind of stuff. Um, did you know that the um, when they go to break into Paris Hilton's house, that's that, Paris Hilton's house. That's right? Paris Hilton's yeah, yeah, yeah. house. She's friends with with Sophia Sophia Coppola, Coppola right? Uh, but that I'm that's, assuming that's such a clever kind of device because then you're then you are put in this weird position where you kind of abhor the fact that the characters have broken into Paris Hilton's house, but you also really want to see what Paris Hilton's house is like and be like, ooh, look how many shoes she's got. Oh my God, she's got her own nightclub. It makes it kind of meta. It does, and it makes you both the kids and also not the kids. You know, it makes you feel like you are breaking in with them, but then you're also kind of going, nah, nah, you shouldn't do that. That's like illegal and shit. <laughs> so <laughs> That's like illegal and shit, yeah? Yeah, bruv, that is like illegal and shit, yeah? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also think a little bit like, that's a bit stupid, Paris. Like, 
you've already been broken into once and now you've got your whole house on film for yeah. anyone to watch that's well, actually not the she smartest. won't leave well that's if all that's i mean i don't think paris would have all those pictures of herself she's clearly sending herself up without yeah, really true. appearing in the film as herself she appears in news footage but she doesn't come in and do her own cameo well she, just, do, she does paris hilton does a she's in the nightclub scene they're like oh my god it's paris and she's just like sitting on the back of a couch looking all blonde and beautiful oh yeah oh i did not know that <laughs> <laughs> to quote Olivia Colman in The Favourite. Was Rebecca secretly pleased and proud at the end of the film to be referred to by TMZ as a person of interest? <laughs> well, yeah, she's boasting about it. She's like, I know that I've been talked about as a person of interest with relation to this case. Like, I'm so important. She's just kind of delusional. And then she's so delusional that there's that fantastically darkly funny line when she's being interrogated by the police. And she's like, you spoke to Lindsay? What did she say about it? And it, it's kind of just hilarious and so messed up. Her priorities are in completely the wrong place. They're completely yeah. skewed. Because she doesn't believe, you'd, you'd assume that she doesn't believe that she could really get in trouble for this. Yeah. Because she's grown up in this kind of affluent neighborhood where... This is how people get famous. Um, you know, she has got divorced parents and that's very sad. And her dad lives out of state. But that's no excuse. No, 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 I know. But she still seems to have that feeling of entitlement, even though she hasn't necessarily had the best home life. We assume, because we still don't know. I hate Emma Watson's character. Oh, yeah. she's absolutely detest her. She is a vile infuriating hideous self-involved self-entitled little shit but because of emma's performance it's mesmerizing to watch it's just darkly funny again it's kind of this this girl who is really savvy she like she knows exactly how to turn it around yeah that vanity fair interview oh my was God. i mean it had me laughing out loud but also completely cringing and feeling so much hate and anger towards her. Yeah. Well, that's the great thing about this as a part of Sofia Coppola's filmography is that where somewhere kind of went back to like a safe place, but it was kind of recycling stuff and just not really saying anything new. Mm -hmm. This feels like an, a step forward, a step on from what... Coppola has said in her previous films. It's like a reaction to some somewhere. Yeah, it completely is. It's yeah. completely. She she was banging on about being a humanitarian who wants to be leader, who wants peace, save the planet, all that fucking bullshit. But weirdly, it doesn't just say stuff about her character. It talks about the culture at large and what journalism now does or what journalism was doing to bolster that culture because Vanity Fair in the interview there with that that journalist from Vanity Fair was almost it was it wasn't necessarily an interview it was more of them colluding how do we present this girl mm. I can say it like this if you want it's that's not journalism that's PR mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's either brave or stupid for Vanity Fair to portray themselves as doing something like that it is. <laughs> I don't know how realistic that is. I don't know. I, I would assume that a publication like Vanity Fair would see through all of that 
shit. Mm. But maybe they didn't. I've not actually read the original article, so I don't know. Um, but Emma Watson shines. After they've been arrested, it becomes her film. She yeah. almost becomes the lead, not just in the fact that they're concentrating on her, but her performance. Mm. Well, because she, she becomes like almost like the... She represents the philosophy of the film, which mm-hmm. is look at this twisted, weird teenager who has decided to be famous now. It, yeah, it's, it's almost like they've turned her into this kind of monster movie version of a teenager. And she, yeah, she just represents the message of the film, I think. What do you think of the visuals in this film? They were great. There's that fantastic shot that almost got cut out of the film, but thank God it didn't, which is the, the it's almost a stationary or a very slow pan into the back of this glass house, which is owned by one of the Hill stars, Audriana, Audrina, somebody. Um, and it's such a great shot because you see how quickly they worked. Yeah. They go in, they, they navigate through the, bot, the first floor, then the upper floor, get a bag out, shove some stuff in it, leave. And it's all done within like two minutes, I think. Yeah, they it just, it, yeah, it was absolutely, it's as gorgeous as this film's ever going to look. Yeah. Because ultimately for a film about happy, shiny, rich trinkets, it visually, it was very run of the mill. Mm. It didn't, it didn't look like TV, but it was only just barely visually a film. But that shot is brilliant because it just says so much. It says, A, this is the kind of property they're going for. B, this is where it's located in the Hollywood Hills. And C, they have developed so far in their skill that they're able to do it in the time that it takes us to slow track into the the property. Yeah. Well, I don't agree that it's a bland looking film. I don't think it looks like TV or anything. I think it's actually a real departure for Coppola because all of Sofia Coppola's previous films, Lost in Translation, The Virgin Suicides, shot on film and she wanted to do that because they foster a kind of romantic, nostalgic emotion. Whereas The Bling Ring is shot on digital, on the RED red digital camera, which is like the big high def thing. Mm -hmm. It looks totally different from anything else she's done. Maybe that's what I'm picking up on. Yeah. It, well, it doesn't look as lush. No, it doesn't. Even as as lush as somewhere. Yeah. It, it's like when you get inside Nikki's family home, it's bleached white. The visuals are Very white. stark, yeah. It looks really... It looks like a Nancy Myers film. It looks like that kind yeah. of affluent white house. Or like a photo shoot in OK. Yeah, exactly. Like, come in, see my house. It's gorgeous and clean. Here's me drinking a glass of champagne. And they always like having bare feet and in a summer dress. Yeah. That kind of bullshit. Exactly. I hate that kind of fucking photography. <laughs> it's just but then bland. The, uh, then the darks are really dark. Like when they first, when the kids first are breaking into the house by climbing over the gates, there's kind of like an orange blush of light behind them, which is the city lights. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really lush, gorgeous looking film, which is kind of, in keeping with the themes because it starts out with that montage of, you know, jewelry and high heels and plush fabrics. And it's, this film is all about textures and glamor and empty, empty glamor. I think, you know, kind of that emptiness of it all. Is this her strongest film since lost in translation and her least self-indulgent film? I think so. Yeah. And ironically, I know exactly. It's not perfect because it it still feels kind of like it's skimming the surface. We don't really understand 
the teenagers we don't really get any in insight into kind of what their lives are really like i think nikki is the is the one that we we know That's the emma most watson's about. character emma watson's yeah. character because we have the mom who's like she's read that book the secret she's trying mm -hmm. to pass on the knowledge you know they're all they're talking about who they idolize and they talk about angelina jolie because they love her husband and her hot bod and <laughs> you get an insight mostly into nikki but but mark but, mark is this kind of sad guy who just doesn't really have anything gay. going on yeah he is because he refers to a guy as hot at one point yeah but i don't know if that's him trying to fit in or if he actually is gay i took it that he was um but this is this is her strongest film i, th I think since lost in translation partly because it's it's like what she said when we when we talked about um somewhere she's talking about something she knows about mm -hmm. she's talking about this world that she feels very comfortable in in terms of celebrity and p being famous but she's doing it from a completely different perspective um a way more interesting really perspective. interesting and she's kind of found this article that is audacious and kind of really really sums up that bubble of time when reality star um profiles were kind of skyrocketing the internet and social media in particular was kind of still figuring itself out mm -hmm. people weren't as savvy with their um online presence so you could figure out where people were they weren't even locking their front doors for god's sake people no. just, they were just walking through the front door um <laughs> does yeah. it matter does it matter that we don't see rebecca's conclusion that the last time we see her she is walking out of court mm. well we kind of hear that she gets sentenced to four years i think that probably is enough but we don't see her after no prison because I'm guessing with Mark, it's probably about a year after. Mm. So there's no reason why we can't jump forward. Like in The Virgin Suicides and see Rebecca in later life. Yeah. Does it matter that we don't see her conclusion? We don't see the blonde girl and we don't really um, hear anything about Emma Watson's sister? I don't know. I don't think so. I think because Mark and Nikki kind of rise above everybody else, I think it's okay that you don't... You kind of assume that either Rebecca and the others are going to turn out like either Mark or Nikki, or they're going to just fade away. I don't think it needs to explicitly tell you that. Would you watch this again? Yeah, I think I really would. Don't you think that it, it's like the most tense thing that she has made in terms of that suspense and undercurrent of tension? Yeah, this, this one has the strongest plot so far. Yeah. Because it, it, is, it is a complete film. Even if we don't see Rebecca's story and we don't see the blonde girl or the sister, we have a, 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 um, a conclusion as such because Mark's in therapy and we have his story come to a conclusion. And then we have um, Emma Watson's character, although it's not necessarily concluded because in a way this could be her origin story. Yeah, exactly. This is her prequel. Yeah. This is the prequel to how did Nikki, the world famous reality TV star who does all the, the yoga DVDs or the makeup <laughs> and the perfume signage. How did she become famous? This is her story. She's a thief. I don't think, I don't think we need to hear the other ones. Mm. It's just her most complete film. Yeah. And I just thought she handled the, just that real feeling of this is going to go horribly wrong. And like that moment where Tessa Farmiga has the gun and she's waving it around and Mark's yes. like, get out of my face. That I was just like, <gasps> just like clinging on to my, 
my drink or whatever I had in my hand is like, oh my God. And then all the gun goes off. It's like such a great payoff, the next scene. Yeah. The, but, I mean, mm, he doesn't react. No, he doesn't. He just grabs her and she takes her shoes off. <laughs> that was The Bling Ring, directed by Sophia Coppola. Joshua, give us a clue what the next film is, please. The next film reunites Sophia Coppola with her original muse. Hmm. I wonder who that could be. Jump onto the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Acast and TuneIn Radio app. Hit subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. And we're on Twitter at TornStubsPod. So give us a tweet. Let us know what you think of the Sophia Coppola series so far. We're off to Paris's. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>